this album we've just done, although it's got more complex sounds uh, on it, different instruments, we, we have musicians in the band, especially Rick, who's capable of doing it. He's capable of playing a grand piano for three bars, a mellotron for two bars, and a moog for the next one. Absolutely spot on and perfectly. And as long as one knows that the musicians in the band are capable of doing it, then, then nothing's too complex, really. And you're listening to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. And the voice you heard there in the beginning was Mr. Chris Squire, bass player of progressive rock band Yes, in a 1971 interview on the BBC, talking about the complexities of the melodies and arrangements on Fragile, the album that they put out just a few months earlier. And as he had mentioned there, with the addition of Mr. Rick Wakeman on the keys, the band felt there was nothing that they couldn't do because they all had the confidence in their fellow band members that they could actually pull this stuff off. And man, did they ever on this record. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I got my brother Quentin with me as always. So, Q, we've dipped our toes in the 70s maybe once or twice uh, in the in the almost two years that we've been doing this podcast. So I'm excited to be coming back to that decade. And this is just one of those iconic albums from that era, you know. Uh, I know one of your your what you heard's way back in the in the day. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. From their self titled album, I believe, or maybe it was some other album you grabbed. No, of theirs. Yeah, it was from um, Time and a Word. That's what it was from. Yeah, man, there's so, so many good songs from this band. Um, I'm hoping we're gonna dive into just a little history of progressive rock, dude. I hope you brought brought the goods. Oh, uh, yeah, we will. We're gonna we're gonna do like a. Uh, like a bird's eye view of progressive rock. Nothing. We're not going to go cool. too deep into it, but you know, it's always nice to uh, to sort of, you know, look at the the stepping stones that got us to this point. You know. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, what albums were coming out before this? That that what, like what were those stepping stones? Just in general, the the rock and roll landscape. Yeah. Well. Uh, let's let's look that up real quick. <laughs> yeah, let's find out. Okay, so just from uh, you know, just taking a quick peek here. You know, sixty-seven, sixty-eight, dominated by the Beatles. I mean, they were doing some pretty great stuff around then, but it wasn't anywhere near like what what Yes did. Um, and then you had, you know, your Simon and Garfunkel tunes. And uh, Sly and the Family Stone, so, you know, uh, funk kind of disco stuff was starting to emerge. But, I mean, where did pro- progressive rock come from, you know? Like, like, how did we get there? So, uh, from, what I, from what I discovered, from what I read, progressive rock, which is synonymous with art rock, classical rock, and symphonic rock, the term, or at least the, I should say the, uh, the genre, coincided with the economic boom of the mid 1960s in the UK, 
where record labels allocated more creative control to their artists, as well as, um, well, I'm not gonna, I'll just leave it at that. So, and then when you think about, you know, maybe some, like I said, the stepping stones before that, like where you get little hints of it, you know, you think about mm-hmm. the stuff that the Beatles were doing, like on um, Strawberry Fields Forever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where they started to do more of that experimental stuff. I've actually got a quote from, yes. from Paul McCartney from 67, where he said, we, the band, got a bit bored with 12 bars all the time. So we tried to get into something else. Then came Dylan, The Who, and The Beach Boys. We're all trying to do vaguely the same kind of thing. So basically, rock music was starting to take itself more seriously, right? So some of these artists wanted to, like, I like what he was saying, like, hey, you know, we're tired of writing the 12-bar blues stuff, you know? Yeah, and um, not to go on a tangent, but, you know, George Martin had a lot to do with it. And he, he started to pull in um, orchestral instruments and stuff like that into, into Beatles recordings. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So there's a lot of, you know, this is by no means like the definitive answer as far as like, what was the first progressive rock album? But a lot of people, a lot of people point to um, the Moody Blues Days of Future Past uh, record, which, which is, uh, I mean, uh, a humdinger. (laughs) Have you listened to that before? I mean, uh, it's been a long time. So, yeah, that's... so here's the thing. So, you know, that came out in 1967. So I think we all know Tuesday afternoon and nights in white satin, right? Yeah. They, so they, that, that was the album they did with the, the orchestra. Exactly. And uh, that orchestra from London. Exactly. And that's why it's, yeah. it's considered one of the first progressive rock, uh, like studio releases, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. But those songs that I was talking about, those two singles that I think most people associate with the Moody Blues, at least I do, um, yeah. came from that record. They weren't called that on the record. Um, th- if you look at the record, the, the the track names are like, The Day Begins is track one. And then, you know, track four is Lunch Break. And then track six and seven mm-hmm. is Evening and the Night. So it's literally, you know, one day, right? It's like, yeah, it's, it's like a concept album. Yeah, it's like a concept album. So the record label was called Dirham Records. Actually, you know what? Let me just let some of the fellas from Moody Blues um, talk about this. So this is um, Justin Hayward and John Lodge, uh, both members since the origin. Uh, these guys are talking. I'm not sure when this interview uh, came out, but this is... Well, you know, decades after, but they're talking about... Looks like it came out in 2017. Okay, so this interview is from 2017. So this is this is the 50-year anniversary of this album. So uh, I think they did a tour where they played the record, you know? And this is from mm-hmm. sort of that, that time period. They were interviewed uh, during a, a tour where they were sort of doing the album at the 50-year anniversary, right? So this is them reminiscing about how this came about and all that kind of stuff. If you look at the back of the sleeve, Days of Future Past, you'll see there's a photograph, and it's the five members of the group, plus the recording engineer, Derek Varnos, the staff producer at the time, who was Tony Clark, and another person with his back to the camera. And that person was a man called Michael Barclay. And it was his concept, he was in charge of special uh, projects for Decca. 
And he originally came to the group with this idea of demonstrating stereo, that stereo could be as interesting for rock and roll as it was with classical music. He wanted to incorporate uh, classical music and what he called a pop band, put them together to show the full frequency sound of the record and of their radiogram. And I don't think he was really interested in the Moody Blues. I don't think he knew who we were at that stage. And, um, but I think they went through the, the, the contracts of the bands they had. And for some strange reason, they decided on us. That's crazy, dude. So basically, <laughs> um, the Moody Blues were like, I don't know. They, they, they were falling on hard times kind of thing. They didn't have much success uh, prior to that, or at least they you know down to their luck kind of thing and so for whatever reason like he was saying he doesn't know why they why the record label came to them with this idea so they wanted to bring in a pop band like he said to record an adaptation of anton dvorak's i'm probably mispronounced that symphony number nine to demonstrate their latest recording techniques which was named duramic sound so like what this guy said, he wanted, they wanted to basically showcase, hey, you know, pop music can sound just as great as, you know, classical music when it's recorded using our new techniques or whatever. And um, so Moody Blues, they were the guinea pigs? Essentially, yeah. But yeah, they wanted to incorporate their own material into the record, which is why you have basically when you listen to the record, it's the classic, it's the orchestra playing parts of the symphony as interludes and then moody blues uh integrate their songs like into it yeah it's pretty great and you're saying a lot of people will point to this as the first kind of you know the first prog rock yeah and that's album. because that's because of the the orchestral integration stuff so um let's listen to a track off of this so uh let's play and i'm going to tell you to jump ahead q to the three, sorry, the, to the two and a half minute mark of track six, and this is called Evening. I can feel the sun slipping out of sight, and the world still goes on through the Twilight time 
So yeah, I mean, there's you know, there's not much overlap happening there, right? And and um, you know, this was sort of, you know, one of the first times that, that this had been like an entire album was devoted to this idea of like, hey, let's blend these two, these two genres together, you know. Um, and you know, this makes me think of Metallica sure. doing it. Well, doing yeah, that's funny because I thought about bringing that up, you know, because yeah. like when I heard Metallica's S and M when I was young, you know, twelve, thirteen, or whatever. I thought it was like the coolest yeah. thing ever, you know. But this has been happening since the '60s, right? So, yeah, dude. You, real quick, you know they just did another one. Oh, I know. S and M squared. Uh, yeah, they they they, <laughs> out, they recorded it, and it, it's going to be played yeah. at movie theaters. So I'm probably going to cool. go see it. But um, yeah, you should. Okay, so let's just move real quickly to another album that is sort of cited as an early example of progressive rock. It actually came out uh, the same year. Actually, I'm sorry. It came out the following year. This is an album or an artist that I had never heard of before called The Nice. And it's comprised of Keith Emerson of Emerson, Lake and Palmer, right? Which is another well-known progressive rock band that he formed after um, he was after this band. David O'List, Brian Davison, and Lee Jackson. So the reason I listed off the names of all the members is because the name of this album is The Thoughts of Emerlist Davjack, which is sort of a pseudonym that they made up by combining the last names of all four members, which is kind of funny. So anyway, um, there is a track on here. There's some singing and stuff. And um, unlike the Moody Blues um, record, they are not playing with an orchestra, right? They have, you know, they play, a, a, you know, a flute. They play the trumpet. They play, uh, you know, a harpsichord, an organ. So you're going to hear, you know, orchestral instruments, but it's not from a, an orchestra. It's from these guys, right? So the, what's interesting about this track, and this is called Rondo, and it's uh, track number four. And it, you're going to hear snippets from Dave Brubeck, as in oh. Dave Brubeck, right? Yeah. His song called Blue Rondo, a la Turk, which is where the name came from. And then you'll hear pieces from Sebastian Bach's Takato and Fugue in D minor, which is a very well-known classical piece that we all know, right? This is an instrumental song. There's no singing in the song. But it sort of piggybacks off the idea of rock and classical music combining right and jazz in, yeah. in, in this instance cool i'm excited dude i've never heard this band before all right so let's give it a listen again this song is called rondo 
by the nice. All right, Q. So you can hear the um, you can hear that Dave Brubeck melody, like I was saying from um, from Blue Rondo a la Turk. But let me uh, skip ahead real quick to the part where um, Keith Emerson starts to integrate the melody of Toccata and Fugue in D minor. So yeah, I mean, again, it's it's rock bands starting to, you know, quote unquote, take rock and roll more seriously and like try to elevate the 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 genre by by you know going beyond the 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 twelve bar blues like McCartney was saying and and you know going out of the three minute love song and into stuff more quote unquote serious, right? Well, who was was that McCartney that said that? Yes, and he said that I, I in '67. Like I don't like it. I don't like it. 
That makes that, that no, just I, sounds I mean, like they're saying he didn't like say, it wasn't him partic- in particular that said that they were trying to take themselves more seriously, but he was trying to say that they got bored with the traditional rock song structure that had been that okay. the, the blues yeah. structure, so this, the blues rock structure, right? Yeah, saying that taking it more seriously just makes it seem like, oh well, finally. Oh yeah, you know, here's yeah. some music that actually matters. Yeah, that wasn't his, that, he wasn't quoted as saying that. That's what. Um, that's just kind of the idea behind progressive rock is that, you know, yeah. that, that, that was the idea at the time was like, Hey, let's, let's elevate rock music. Let's, a little let's bit. merge these, let's merge these, uh, genres that, that you would think it would never, you know, find its way on the same album or the, yeah. you know, the same track. Right. Um, and it seems like these artists realized that there was an appetite for it. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, so they started experimenting more. The the success of of Days of Future Past by Moody Blues could have, yeah, it might have been what proved that, you know. So um, yeah, I bet so. One more one more piece of information here, and then we'll get into yes, we'll talk about the album that we came here to talk about today. So one of the other things that was happening at this time that helped sort of propel progressive rock was the the arrival of um, new technical gear and electronic instruments such as right you know moog synthesizers right and like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know things like the uh the, the mellotron right so that allowed these rock bands these keyboardists or whatever these organists to you know play something that sounded like a flute you know but on their keyboard right yeah or they could play you know get like a grand piano sound and not have to lug a grand piano with them right on tour right exactly so and they could have uh you know two or three stacks of of electronic keyboards with them on their set and get all these different kind of you know harpsichord sounds and all that kind of stuff without like having to lug all these different equipments you know uh, instruments with them on tour it totally makes sense yeah exactly so you know the Moody Blues no longer had to bring the London Symphony Orchestra with them, right? When they yeah. when they toured for this album, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, all of that is happening around the same time, and then 1971, yes, puts out Fragile, and that is the record that we're talking about today. And um, it is such a good record. It's man. it's all it, the way through. It's, like I said, it's it's a masterpiece. Not only is it, you know, one of the greatest progressive rock albums of all time. It's one of the greatest albums of all time right easily so yeah let's talk about that let's get into it so q are you going to give us a quick history of the band or are we just gonna because you know it's yes they're in the hall of fame like how much do we have to to talk about their their background we can just talk about the Uh, album if you want we can name off the roster of who yes was in 1971 because they've gone through a lot of members um, but we can kind of name off the roster in 71 and what everyone did. Cause they, uh, one, one of their keyboardists left the band and then they got Rick Wakeman on keys for fragile. So they kind of had a, a change up in their, uh, their lineup at the time. So Rick Wakeman, um, is one of those artists that incorporated the Mellotron into their their repertoire as it were uh so yeah, he, he was you know, a, beast. a beast yeah he's he's ridiculous and so is a guitar player he's insane and the bass player i mean we've you know shit do we have to see it they're all so amazing. uh let's just name off the roster again uh we, we haven't named them all off yet 
the lineup of yes at that time was John Anderson, uh, lead and backing vocals. Then you had Steve Howe on electric and acoustic guitars, Chris Squire, bass guitars, Rick Wakeman, which played all of the keys, right? So he's listed on the, uh, the liner notes for this record as the Hammond organ, the grand piano, the RMI 368 Electra piano and harpsichord, the Mellotron, and the Mini Moog synthesizer. So, he's an absolute beast, man. Yeah, he, he's responsible for anything that sounds like, you know, it could be from an orchestra on this record is from Rick Wakeman. And then Bill Brufford on drums and percussion. So that was the lineup at that time. I know that, you know, they've gone through dozens of, of members over the decades, right? But um, that was, that's the, uh, that's the Yes Crew for Fragile. So Q, this was their first album with Rick Wakeman on the keys. Isn't that right? Yep. So he was like, don't worry guys, let me bring my equipment with me. And then he brought like everything, right? Like I said, he brought like every single type of way you could play keys on a record. He brought, brought it to the table. Yeah. And then they were able to pull this stuff off live because he could just like seamlessly spin around and go from, from one keyboard to the next, you know, and just play it flawlessly. So something I was, I read about um, when I was just looking into progressive rock, like over the decades is that by the time you get to bands like journey or, um, you know, sticks, a lot of people would mislabel them as progressive rock just because they had multiple keyboards on the record. So like a lot of times the, the, the word or the genre would get thrown around and it would, you know, bands would get mislabeled as, as progressive rock, even if they didn't necessarily, you know, stick to the true like nature and like spirit of progressive rock, you know, like bands like journey would make these really poppy radio hits and they had multiple keys or keyboardists in the band or on the record. And somehow that classified it as a progressive rock album, even though that's not the case. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but like you were saying, this Rick Wakeman dude comes in, you know, he, he had, um, he was a big fan of classical music and that shines through in this album a lot, dude. Um, actually let's play, let's play a little bit from fragile real quick. So track one was roundabout, which was one of the singles. Um, so roundabout and then another song called long distance Runaround," um, which I mean, could really be another, like it, it's, you could really just tack it on to Roundabout as like one full piece. That was the only single they released, so so Roundabout was A-side, Long Distance Runaround was B-side. All right, so here's a little bit from track two. Uh, this kind of shows showcasing, you know, Wakeman's, uh, Wakeman kind of nerding out with some classical stuff. Uh, this is called Cans and Brahms. It is extracts from Brahms' Fourth Symphony in E minor, Third Movement. Thank you. 
it's just funny to think like Wakeman's like, here's what I can do, guys. You know, like check this out. Right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> now, was that the first time that Yes had, had had done something like that on a record where it's literally just a, a classical piece? I wish I knew the answer to that, man. I, I wish I knew the answer to that, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have Wakeman before this album, and this was also the first album of theirs to reach the top ten charts uh, here in in America, which is definitely notable. Um, so, so let's get into some real, like, let's get into the meat of this album. All right. Well, I think we've we've established we've done a really good job establishing that progressive rock ties in classical music with rock. It's the marriage of those two things. And and you know, of course, there's a lot more that goes into it than just that. But um, that's you know, there's a reason that synonymous with progressive rock is the term symphonic rock. Right. This is why. Right. So we've we've covered that. So now. Let's uh, let's listen to why Yes, and on this album in particular, uh, did it perhaps better than anybody else that came before them. Yeah, dude. I mean, there's just some songs on this record that are just like, I mean, they give me chills, man. Um, let's jump down to track four. This is easily my favorite on the record. It is so fucking great. Uh, there's like a few, like, I, I guess you could call them movements in the song. I'm going to play a couple of those. So uh, this song is called South Side of the Sky. So yeah, I mean that song, it's fucking rocks hard, man. <laughs> it rocks, epic, dude. Hard and like you know, 
that guitar, look, man, that guitar line, dude, throughout the yeah, whole right. song. Yeah. And, and then you know, there's, there's that, there's that organ in the background. Right. So I was trying yeah. to think to myself, like just now, it just, you know, while I was sitting here, like, it's not like this is the first time that organs were incorporated into rock music, you know, like, no, you know, like the doors, right. You think about the doors and, and I, I looked up his name cause I didn't know it off the top of my head, but Ray Manzarek, right. Of the doors. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he was. All I mean, I fucking love that the the organ stuff that 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 shows up in those Doors songs from the '60s, and that's before this record, you know. Obviously, so it's not like it's the first time that this was done, but like I guess it's part of it's part of what makes it progressive rock was the 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 way that they incorporated that kind of stuff and the way that they did these these interludes, right? Because you, you're about to play another part, right? Yeah, I faded out as they kind of went into this little instrumental, like quiet piano part. Um, now I'm not going to play, uh, I'm going to fade us back in once it kind of goes into a whole different vibe a little bit later on in the song. I just want to read the lyrics real quick. There's a really great website called genius.com that uh, they dive into, you know, what parts of songs will mean. Like it's all um, crowdsourced, I guess, you know, you can, you can add your own annotations. So they're unreviewed here. So this guy could be full of it. <laughs> but I'm going to read it because it sounds interesting and it, I, I, th- I think it might be true. So the chorus, which is, I love this line. Uh, he says, were we ever colder on that day, a million miles away, it seemed from all of eternity. So it could be that he is talking about polar explorers, uh, how, how cold it was to them in the south side of the sky, which you know, most likely he's talking about Antarctica uh, and how far away they felt millions of miles away from the rest of the world. Hmm. Anyways. Yeah, that's cool. That's one uh, interpretation in the lyrics. That's one interpretation. A river, a mountain to be crossed, the sunshine in mountains sometimes lost around the south side so cold that we cried. Anyways, epic song. Uh, but before we jump into the next clip, uh, let's take a quick break. And we're back. I'm going to jump to the to clip two. Let's see what else we got. Let's see what other flavors they got for us on this one. So here's clip two from South Side of the Sky.
Yeah, I mean, I think you can. I think you can definitely point back to to days of future past as as sort of like the the, the starting point of all this because it proved to to rock musicians and 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 you know the 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 fans of rock music that you know they had an audience for this. Well, and that like, hey, you can take a rock song and and you know add movements to it and like add interludes to it you know yeah and and make it like compelling and like make you know write these really complex arrangements and and transitions for for rock songs you know yeah and it's, yeah i mean and it's, it's really interesting yeah and the other song uh well i've got a few more a couple more songs to play but the other main song that i want to focus on it's similar in, in that way you know it's got movements and stuff and that's why i picked it because i feel like that's what makes this album so amazing uh, and why it's, you know, people point to it as like one of the, the most important prog rock albums of all time. Um, yeah. So uh, I want to play maybe the whole song. Well, it's almost three minutes long. Maybe not the whole song, but I wanted to play this one instrumental track called The Fish uh, just because I like it. It's a uh, it, it's a song that uh, Chris Squire wrote uh, only using his bass guitar. Uh, that's his nickname. He goes by the fish because he has a tendency of taking long baths. <laughs> uh, and he's, he's also a Pisces. Uh, so here's a little bit of track six called The Fish.
Yeah, um, I think that track really um, showcases what Bill Bruford brought to the table As behind a, the kit, right? Yeah, the drums. Yeah, the drums are really cool. And, you know, there there was some sort of like there's some sort of I don't know xylophone or something like that behind mm-hmm. behind that. Yeah, um, yeah, and I said that was an instrumental track. I mean, you know, they're singing that. So that was the uh, subtitle, I guess, of the song. That's just the name of a fish. The family name of a fish whatever you know the scientific name of a species of fish um but yeah it's just kind of a um interlude kind of track if you want to call it that um yeah really cool so we haven't really talked about john anderson yet and like what a unique voice he had you know yeah like it really does you know especially on the last track south side of the sky like man he he can how like great are yell. his vocals yeah. uh, you know it's almost like he's he's yeah he he's singing really loudly at some points very like passionately oh it's yeah no i mean it's it's he's got he's got a voice for 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 rock you know for sure yeah but uh and that, you know it it really helps sort of i don't want to say like you know juxtapose or whatever but like you know it provides a good contrast with you know transitioning because you know obviously he's also doing these like very like melodic like harmony type stuff too yeah he, some of the he other does members, but do I'm just saying, like, a lot of the the backing tracks himself um yeah so i mean it showcases how versatile he is right yeah and we should note too that he he was one of the founding members of the band so he, yeah he yeah, is he's yes been there since we get, sure yeah uh, so this ended up being a, a music heavy episode we didn't want to bore you too much you know with historical details because i mean really that's not what this podcast is about anyways um, well and, and for a band you know we, we talk about bands that are as popular and like well known as, as yes and we don't feel like this podcast is about diving into the deep history of some of these super well-known bands that plenty of people know much much about right so it, we're more about like hey let's just listen to the music and talk about it you know yeah and you know what dude this probably at least a couple uh, podcasts that you can find in the Pantheon Music Network that dive a little bit deeper into this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, they, they either dive into Yes or dive into Progressive Rock. So yeah, check yeah. that out for sure. Yeah. Pantheonpodcasts.com. Uh, so anyway, all right. Let's, uh, we get, you said you got one more song for us, right? Yes. So this is the last song on the album. Another doozy. This one's 11 and a half minutes long. Um, and again, I've just kind of uh, picked a, a couple different movements, I guess, from the song. We're going to start with the beginning of it. It is called Heart of the Sunrise.
Yeah, I mean, again, you know, shout out to to Bill on the drums there. Because, I mean, that's almost like, that's jazz, you know? That's some jazz drum. Yeah, drum I liked how the majority of the beginning of this song is just kind of a, you know, playing back and forth, you know, feeling each other, you know, bass and drums. Uh, sure. You know, yeah. and then Wakeman's kind of just in the background, like, you know, just quietly doing, doing you know, pretty stuff on the organ kind of in the background. But, uh, and then, what's his name? How? Steve How- Howie? kind of like it it kind of fades into his crazy guitar work towards the end of that so the first you know, the beginning of that song again just got to remember this is a, an 11 and a half minute song but i faded it out right as it was gonna like quiet down and and then uh anderson comes in with with his vocals um so let's play clip two shall we
That's great, man. Yeah, it's kind of a lengthy clip, but again, 11 and a half minute song. I, I couldn't fade out like with, with so many parts in that. But you gotta, yeah, you you gotta hear the you gotta hear that whole segment the, the to really get the up. impact of it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, not to say this again, but like that really showcases how how versatile his vocals are. You know, because that's a very soft like delivery on this one versus on um, South Side of the Sky. On South Side of the Sky, you know, his voice had a little bit more edge and a little bit more bite to it. You know, the the thing about the way that Anderson approached his vocals on this record, you know, was just the same way that the, the, the music itself, you know, flows in and out of, of these softer and harder moments, you know? Yeah. Great record. Um, I know it's good. I know we're getting lengthy here, dude. I want to play just a smidget of another kind of little small track. Cause then we got to do our, what you heard. I know. Well, Hey, we'll breeze through those. Okay. Uh, right. But I wanted to show this. I want to play this song. It's track three. It's called "We Have Heaven." So this reminds me of how of what Animal Collective does so well, um, where it's just layers and layers and layers, um, and there's vocal layers in this song that are really cool. So, anyways, this is another one of my favorites on the record. It's called "We Have Heaven." Whimsical little song, I love that, that was one. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> so there's some there's some tracks on um, on that album by the Nice that I played a clip from earlier uh-huh. that have that same kind of whimsical vibe that, to it. What's you know? the, what's the name of that style of singing? It's like uh, like yeah, seesaw know. or something, you know, where it's like back yeah, and forth it, it, and yeah, it builds. Sure. Um, anyways, dude, I, I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So. Um, you know, like we like we say a lot on this podcast. You know, we just barely scratch the surface there. Yeah, and like we like we say every week now, got to listen to it. You you know, 
from track one. The, the, I mean, this is one of those, like, you absolutely have to listen to it all the way through. Yeah. But I think your the, the tracks that you picked, I think, definitely uh, showcased just how versatile the album is, you know? Yeah, and you know that and one... You're going that... to hear all those different things when you listen to, to this album. Like, you're going to hear all that, you know? Yeah, and, and that song I played first for us, the Cans and Brahms, there's another track on here called Mood for a Day, which is pretty much another um, classical piece. It's really pretty uh, classical guitar. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Or that's, it's a lute that's or something, I don't know, something like that. Definitely something about um, Steve Ho... Steve Howie, Steve Howie is just how incredible of a guitar player he is. Like if you listen to the beginning of roundabout, right. That classical guitar at the beginning of that. Yeah. It's one of the most iconic, like intros to a rock song of all time, you know? Yeah, totally. All right, dude, we got to wrap it up. Cause you know what we're bringing back? I mean, they're already back, so we're going to do it again. What you heard. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, who started last time? Was it you? I don't remember. Well, dude, I'm excited because let me, let me go first. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Did you know that Spoon released a album from there? Have you listened to it? I haven't listened to okay, it. Okay, good. It's, I thought it was just a track, right? One track? It's just one one track. What did I say? Album? Yeah. So this is from the Series of Sneaks era, right? Yes. Uh, and it was never released. Um, you know, they just released that uh, Greatest Hits collection called Everything right. Hits It Once. And there was a single on that. Yes, that there was a brand new track that I, from that. That I wasn't very, I don't know. I, it's okay. I wasn't too it's Spoon. interested in it. Yeah, it's Spoon. And you know what? If this is your first time joining us, scroll through our episodes. We cover Spoon extensively for a good like three, four months. Um, not straight, but we cover a lot of their albums. Um, we're big fans of Spoon. Anyways, dude, this song is awesome. Um, it's called Shake It Off and let's just let it play. I fucking love that song, man. I love it. And uh, yeah, I just, he's one of my favorite. I mean, shit, we know this. We know. Dude. Like he's, he's one of our favorite vocalists. One of our favorite rockers. Guitar player, singer, songwriters. Yeah, dude. Uh, so, and it's just, man, it's great to hear a track from that era, man. Yes. That's, so again, so that was, that just, was from a series of sneaks. That was from that era. That's 1998 is when that came out. And here's what, yeah. here's why, why I love that song so much, dude. It's got like some some country twang to it, even with with uh, Eno's yeah. drumming style in that song, and that's cool because these guys are from Austin, 
Um, yeah, dude. I, it's, I just love it so much. Well, I mean, this was before they, right before they broke up with the record label, right? And then they came yeah. out with... Girls Can with, Tell. Uh, Girls Can Tell. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, you know, it just makes you wonder, like... Do they have enough material from that era to put out a whole record? Because oh, I would, would be love that. So fucking cool. I mean, because if they think about it, man, that song's been sitting there for Dude. almost twenty years. Um, yeah, so that's that's cool, man. I, I yeah, like I said, I, I hope they keep releasing singles like that from that. I mean, think about it, dude. If there's a single like that from that era. I bet you there's unreleased material from the Girls Can Tell era and the Kill the Moonlight era. Dude, we gotta wait another. I mean, we gotta wait like fifty year. Uh, anniversary status, like you know, we're getting all nah. all this shit from the Beatles now that that uh, yeah. George Martin's son has been working with. Do we got to wait that long, dude? And we're gonna nah, <laughs> they got it, they've got it right now. They oh, I know they well, they had all those Beatles recordings. I'm saying uh, nah. time will come, dude. We'll we'll be hearing new stuff from Spoon for the rest of our lives, regardless of whether or not they're still together. I feel like we're we're gonna keep hearing recordings from them that are resurfaced like this one anyway so again that was called shake it off that was a b-side that they released for uh the single no bullets spent um which came out alongside their uh everything hits at once best of album that just came out this year so if you're a fan of spoon or if you liked what you heard and you haven't heard of spoon before uh like uh quentin had mentioned we covered them extensively we did um we did a series of snakes all the way through um gimme fiction right yeah so we covered four albums of theirs yeah we covered four albums of theirs over four episodes uh so go back and check those out in our feed or on our website all right so let me let me play my what you heard for the week so um this song is actually brought to you by our older brother spencer hey now so um I was uh, in the in the in the car with him for, you know, maybe eight hours in total over the uh, the weekend. We took a little road trip down to Houston uh, to catch a baseball game, uh, and we were listening to music as as we would do, right? And um, he had discovered this artist who goes by Kanalu, or that might be its actual name. I don't know. So he is, uh, he is described as a, a psychedelic funk artist. Cool. Um, and we're just going to play the title track off of his album called Lotus Gate, which is his, his uh, only uh, full-length release to date, and it came out this year. It actually came out in June, so it's pretty fresh. Awesome. Uh, anyway, uh, this song is called Lotus Gate.
Mm. That is a tasty jam. Indeed. Ooh, so, uh, yeah. And so, the, 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 and I think this is why he, he had thought to, to cue him up on the, uh, in the, in the car was that we were listening to like some, actually, Kiwi, we were listening to your psych daily playlist. Mm. And, uh, Chaz Bundrick or Chaz Bundick mm-hmm. came up. Yeah, dude. I, I was thinking of that too. You know what I was going to say? His vocals, right? I was going to say, it sounds like, uh, Toro Imoa mixed with like Michael Franks. <laughs> Michael Franks. Yeah. Dude, now that is a fucking, I haven't <laughs> thought about that guy. Um, but anyway, uh, great track. Um, I think the rest of the, the record is, is sort of, I mean, if you like that, dude, that was the rest of the record is pretty great. similar. That was great. Anyway. Uh, so there you go. There's our, what's your hurts for the week. Um, if you don't know what those are, obviously, basically we just bring, we each bring a track to the table, something that we heard over the, the last few days since we last spoke. And again, it's just another way to share more music with you guys. Yeah, dude, so. I'm glad we brought it back, man. Cause I love, yeah, me too. I love listening to music with you, dude. Yeah, and, you know, I'm glad that we're playing it at the end instead of the beginning. So, you know, if you stick around long enough, you get to hear a couple extra tracks. Um, but that's it. So that, that that's that's what we got for the week. I think unless you've got another idea, Q, um, there's a, another track off of that, that album by The Nice yeah. that I think would make an interesting sidetrack, only because it's a really interesting track. Okay. So yeah, that's gonna do it for us today. Um, we'll be we'll be shouting at you next week with a little sidetrack, uh, covering a little bit more of the nice. So we'll be uh, playing another couple prog rock songs for you. So until next week, hop on to pantheonpodcasts.com. You'll find a link to our website on there, um, and you can check out a lot of other great um, music podcasts that are that are in the network. Um, lots of great, great musical content. Um, and again, we're going to fade us out with uh, another song from Fragile. This one is called Mood for a Day. And as always, thank you so much for listening. My name is Quentin. And my name is Travis. We'll talk to you guys next week. Don't forget pantheonpodcasts.com. Check it out.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.